we, we are in the season of Advent, the second Sunday of Advent, and um, we've been doing some different series. We just finished one on, um, on Thanksgiving and, and what it means to be you know, thankful and content and, and being in that moment and being people of praise and thanksgiving. And, and now, now we're not moving into a series as much as we're, uh, during the season of Advent, we're, we're regaining the rest of the church. And, uh, and I mean the church across the world and following the lectionary. And so we'll be reading scripture today that people around the world might be reading and studying and, and listening to. And, and it is a scripture, of course, that just screams Advent. Second Peter, verse, chapter 3, verse 8. But you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time for everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with the terrible noise, and everything in them will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. Since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy, godly lives you should be living. You should look forward to that day and hurry it along. The day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world where everyone is right with God. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, when I think of Advent scriptures, I think of fire and brimstone raining down from heaven and the world being judged, right? I mean, that's, I mean, that's a typical, the Hallmark movies, it's a lot about damnation during this time of year. It's just great. I love these, these movies that come out around this time of year that are just scary. This isn't necessarily the most advantageous scripture to read. That's just for your benefit. 930 didn't get that kind of stuff. You know, this is just for 11. This isn't the most, you know, this isn't the scripture that you go to when you think Advent. There are multiple other scriptures. But I think this really has something to speak to us today. So, so what's going on is, okay, we're in the season of Advent, right? And essentially what Advent is, the word Advent means this procession, this coming, this, this, um, this, this coming, uh, per, coming processional of a king. In the time of Jesus, when, uh, when Jesus was walking the earth and, and before him and after him, um, there, it was very common for who, whoever was in charge, who was proclaimed the new king, to proclaim themselves God. Now, when they would proclaim themselves God, what they would do is they would, uh, they would have a procession to every one of the little villages that was under their domain. It was called an advent. It was this procession that the king is coming. I've been to Turkey with Ray Vanderlyn, and we sat way up on this hill in this one town. I think it was Colossa, maybe, or something. And, and you sit way up high, and you look out across the desert, and he's talking about these Advent processions that would happen when a king would come. Just how amazingly large that they were. You could see for miles and miles and miles the coming of this king. The dust of the ground would just be spread so high that it was unmistakable. Here comes the new king. Here comes our new God. And so what would you be doing during this time? Be getting ready. 
You see the king coming from a long way off. Well, you better get ready because when he comes, if you don't bow, then you're dead. If you don't pay the proper respect to this coming king, then you're gone. So they were used to these processions. They were used to these huge events where the king would bring everything out. All of his army, all of his wives, all everything, and just show his splendor and majesty to prove to himself or to others that he was indeed king and supposed God. So they were used to these processions in this advent. They were used to this coming. In the days before Jesus, what they longed for was the coming of the true king. The prophets had talked about one day when Emmanuel will come, a child will be born to us, and the government will be placed on his shoulders. They anticipated this day. They anticipated this coming. And now, when Peter writes, you have this other time. Because when Peter is writing, the king has come. And he's gone. When Peter writes these words, Jesus has come. God has entered into humanity in human form. The Messiah has been born. And crucified was buried, conquered death, and then rose again into the heavens and seated at the right hand of the Father. But he says, I will be back. I'm coming back. So at the time that Peter writes this, people are waiting on Jesus to return. Essentially, Peter's writing at the same time in which we live. Because we're writing, we are in the time where we're waiting for the king to come back. We're waiting for Jesus to return. We live in that period between the first coming and the second coming when restoration is brought to all things. Now, as the people of the days of Jesus would get ready and prepare themselves for the coming of the king, so too we should be getting ready. We should be preparing ourselves for the coming of the King. That's what the season of Advent is about. No, that's what our life is about. In Isaiah 40, it's another one of the scriptures that goes with the lectionary for today. It's a much more widely known and used Advent scripture, probably used in most churches today. It's the one, prepare the way for the Lord. The Lord is coming. Prepare the way for the Lord. Go on the mountaintop and shout to Jerusalem, God is coming. So we have this scripture of of Peter questioning, well, why hasn't God come back yet? I don't know, but he's coming, so you better act right. And then you have Isaiah, the prophet, saying, go on the mountaintop and shout to Jerusalem, God is coming. You have these scriptures that, Really pull together what I think we're supposed to be doing right now. Because here's the deal. We are, we're living in, in the meantime. We're living in, we know how the story ends. Jesus comes and brings restoration to all things. We don't know what that's going to look like, but we know that that's going to happen. And we know that Jesus came the first time as God had promised. So we're in the middle. We're in the meantime. As I said at the first service, it just popped in my head. It's like Jesus is up in heaven and and they're talking because no one knows when he's going to come back. He says, not even me, only the Father knows when I will return again. And so you have this segue. Meanwhile, back on earth, 
There's war and pestilence. And there's hunger. And there's hurt. And there's disease. You, you ever wanted Jesus to come back? Like, now? Have you ever been in that place? Man, I, I've been in that place a lot. I, I have been on my knees broken and tired and, and, and tired of all of the stuff that goes on with grace and all of these healings. And God, I know you're going to heal her, but you haven't healed her yet. And I'm kind of getting ticked off by this. So would you just come? I've been so just spent and frustrated and hurt and angry that I just cry out to God, God, come now. What are you waiting for? For us to get worse, it's not going to get much worse than right now, God. Come on down and bring life with you. Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought that way? That it, God, just, just come. Interesting, today is December 7th, the day that is... Um, significant to the history of the world, especially to our country, and the men and women who lived during the 1940s, the day that Pearl Harbor was attacked. I was reading this morning in, in one of my um, C.S. Lewis books as I, as I pick up and read through him periodically. And, and one of the books uh, that he has is called Mere Christianity. And Mere Christianity comes from some radio talks that he did during the Second World War some talks that he did to the, um, the, the nation of England and the United Kingdom and, and to walk people through what was going on. And, and in, one of the, in this section that I read today, it was talking about the coming, the return of God, as if it were the, return, or the approach of the Allied forces. And he's like, you know, you know, why isn't God coming in the way that we know he is coming, what, in the way that we know that he is going to come and to end all of this stuff that's going on? Why hasn't he come yet? And basically his answer is because not everybody knows him. And, and as I think about this and as I go to those times in my mind and, and when in my heart and, and I'm on the floor and I'm crying out to God and I'm like, God, come back now. God turns to me and goes, you're being a little selfish, aren't you? Because if Jesus comes back right now, I know that I'm good with him. I know who God is. I know who the Messiah is. I know who my Savior is. I understand that I'm a child of God. I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Can I get an amen? But I know that I am loved by him. And I know that when he comes back to bring restoration to all things, I'm included in that story. But what I don't know is if the people who live next door to me are. And, and the people across the street, and the woman catty corner who's who's a shut-in because she had an accident many years ago and she can't leave her house anymore. And I don't know about the people three blocks away, and I and I don't know about other people. So who am I to bring the kingdom of heaven down if they're not ready? Who am I to say God come back now when God's like, man, they're not ready yet. What it says here, and what Eugene Peterson's version says of this second Peter, is that we are to eagerly wait for that day. We are just to be ready for that day. This verse says to hurry it along. To hurry along that day of judgment. 
Interesting thing, a judge, when this is written, the term judge would have been understood as one who brought restoration to life, one who was restorer of life. Not one who condemns, not one who criticizes, but one who gives. So this is a day not of condemnation, but a day that life is brought back. And so in the meantime, then, if I, if I take these scriptures together and I'm supposed to be anticipating the second coming of heaven, I'm waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. But I realize that it's not all about me as much as I would like it to be, that it's about other people as well. And that I should be hurrying this day along. If I need to hurry this day along, that means I need to get other people to understand what it means to be loved by God. And so I go back to Isaiah 40, and what Isaiah 40 tells me is to go to a mountaintop to shout, Jerusalem, God is coming. So I guess that means tonight you're going to see me down on the river, and I'm going to have a little sandwich board on, and I'm going to say, Jesus is coming. Do you know where you're, are you ready? If you die tonight, do you know where you're going to be? I don't think that really works. I, I think that I would be picked up pretty quick by some form of authority that the news cameras would come and say, Pat Methodist pastor from Alamo Heights has flipped his lid. And anyone who saw me and heard me shouting, and I looked him in the eye, do you know where you're going to be? If you, you know, do you know that Jesus loves you? <laughs> like, you are crazy. Where's my margarita? It's a river walk, right? So what does it mean then? In the meantime, meanwhile, back on earth, what are we doing? Are we just sitting around hoping the rest of those people figure it out? If we're not to go up to the mountaintop and shout, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, God is coming. If you follow along with Peter, what Peter says next is, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. Oh, okay. So I just have a pure, blameless life. Done. How many of you live pure and blameless lives? Raise a show of hands or applause. You're, you're humble. I know you're a humble person because you're pure and blameless. So, yeah. What? Okay, if, if going on the mountaintop and shouting and, and living a pure and blameless life really are things that are not in my grasp and control and maybe not necessarily most beneficial things to this world and to the kingdom of heaven, what is it? What am I supposed to be doing? Because I'm not just supposed to be sitting around. I think you're supposed to be engaged in your community. I think you're supposed to be, I think I am supposed to be, everything that God wants me to be. I created you, Michael Paul Crocker. You are unlike anyone else that I've ever created. I've given you gifts and talents. I have placed you in a location. I have surrounded you with neighbors. I have given you a family. Be who I'm calling you to be where you are. That's what I want you to do. I don't need you to save the world. I just need you to be, because I've taken care of that. I just need you to be who I want you to be. If my two commands to you are to love me and to love other people, then do them. How does that look? What does that look like? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. But one of the ways I think that we can go about doing that is to be more intentional where we are. 
be more intentional as sons and daughters of God wherever we are. My family, we have a great backyard at our house. There's a wonderful little playscape um, out there that, uh, wonderful, it's about to fall apart, to be honest. But, um, you know, it's still safe-ish, and so we play on it a lot. Broken arms give character, right? And, and, and there's a great tree back there. And so we go back and we throw balls around and stuff like that. But one of the things we've started to do over the past couple of months is everything that we did in the backyard, we have moved to the front yard. All the stuff that we were doing in the backyard where, where we were by ourselves and we were secluded unless somebody's driving down the alley and I'm leering at him while you're driving down my alley type thing. And we've now moved to the front yard. And so we go in the front yard and Corbin and I will throw the football and Grace will sit on the front porch swing or she'll walk over to the neighbor's house. As you know, the big guy brought us a puppy um, early. Thank, thanks for that, Zana. And um, so what we've done is we take the puppy out front. And let me tell you, there is nothing more attractive to our neighbors than a 10-week-old furball. We go out into the front yard and we have uh, neighbors who drive by all the time. And we have, we're a big walking neighborhood, as I know many of us live in. And people are going by all the time. And so we're out there, we're throwing the ball, we're saying hi. People see the furball, they're like, I've got to snuggle that. Because when you, and when you see something like this, you've got, you're like, I, I have to rub that against my face. And so people stop and they come in and they're like, hey, I'm like, hey, how you doing? And, and it's not like I'm going, hey, my name's Michael. I'm the pastor over at Alamo High School. You know where you're going to be for Christmas Eve service because we're having one at 630 here in the CLC. It'd be great to have you. Hey, uh, do you know Jesus? Because if you don't, you can't touch my dog. I'm just being who God's, we're just being who God called us to be as a family. And so now our neighbors are seeing us there all the time. Some neighbors a little bit down the way come over all the time just to play. They see us out. One of their kids runs out and they're like, Whoo, let's go. And they walk over and the mom will walk over a glass of wine or something. We'll just sit on the front porch and talk. Throw the ball. The kids will be out there. Other neighbors will go by. I want our house to be a place where we are known. We are known not that we are people who work at a church, not that I'm some pastor, but where there's somebody who loves and cares. It's driven because of who I am as a son of God, yes, but that's not how I'm going to lead. I'm going to lead that you're a child of God and I'm just going to love you and I'm not putting anything on you. So if you want to come by my house and sit by the fire and put your feet up and have a drink and share some stories, come on by. If you see us in the front yard, stop. If you need some sugar, come get a little sugar. Sounded weirder. Coming out that it did in my head. I think in the meantime, as Jesus has come first as a baby and he will come again to bring restoration and to bring life to all things, our job is to start doing it right now. And we bring life to people by being in people's lives, by being known to our neighbors, by being known in our community. We bring life to people by being loved. The love that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a love that is not ours to hold back, but is ours to give. In this season of Advent, it is time for us to come out of our homes, to come out of our shells, to come off of our theological stoops and just to say, hey, I'm a child of God and I want to love you for no other reason than you are too. You may not know it yet and that's cool with me. But let's throw the football around. 
and tell a few stories about our lives. If we are indeed going to hasten the day, if we are going to, in the meantime, bring the kingdom of heaven and have God go, now we're ready. It is not for us to sit and to hide, but it is for us to be engaged. We live in the meantime. Let's be here. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life that you gave us through your Son, Jesus, who in a moment of time left his place with you and entered into humanity. He took it upon himself to suffer for our sake, to die for us, to conquer death and to live again so that we might have life. I pray, Father, that as we come to this table, the table that you sat around with your disciples and you took the bread and you broke it and you gave thanks You said, take this, eat all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. After supper, you took the cup and you raised it to heaven and you blessed God. And you said, take this, drink all of you. This is my blood. The blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. And so we come to this table. We come in remembrance of you. Remembrance of your mighty acts of salvation. Your mighty act of giving us life. I pray, Father, that we would make this be for us something that changes us forever. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would make this be for us the body and blood of Christ and that we would be holy and living sacrifices, bringing love to a world that desperately needs it. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.